0: This is Vicky, and welcome to Sources and 6 You can get this podcast from where you get your podcasts from. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Every single business, including the ones in cybersecurity, are intertwined with social issues and concerns. Chloe Mastagi is a security consultant and ESG researcher who provides environmental, social, and governance consulting to businesses. Today, I sat down with Chloe to discuss the biggest issues facing the infosec industry, such as diversity and sustainability, and how we can start tackling it together as an industry. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, Chloe. Let's start with a little bit of self-introduction. Can you tell me what you do? How long have you been doing it? And what led up to your career at this point?
1: Yeah, so I am a strategy consultant. and ESG researcher. So ESG is environmental, social, and governance. Um, And basically I provide impactful solutions for empowering companies to stand out. I basically help mostly cybersecurity companies at this time to try to forecast ahead of time what are the social issues that are going to impact their business in the near future and basically provide them assessment and recommendations. And that's the type of work that I do. And outside of that, I've always been trying to make our industry cybersecurity, that is, become a much better place for everyone who's in it. And that means also understanding all the issues that are, you know, social impact issues and sustainability as well. Mm -hmm.
0: Let's talk about some of your past experiences in InfoSec. What made you want to transition from your past roles into a consultant?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so before I was in cybersecurity, I was a management consultant. Um, and I worked with, you know, tech and nonprofits basically to incorporate potential risks that may occur. Um, so basically coming up with strategies to help them grow. And that meant also incorporating, uh, you know, sustainability practices, but also uh, social impact as well. And what happened was that I really enjoyed the consulting part, but at the time I also missed being in an office and having a workplace culture where you're around the same people for like years. And you know, that was something that I was missing at that time. And so I was kind of started to open up to looking around to join a company. And I remember a recruiter reached out to me and was like, hey, what about a cybersecurity startup? I was like, Okay, sure. Why not? I've never done that one before. Might as well get into it. I remember the first two weeks with me just looking around and being like, where are, why, why is there like hardly any women in here? I remember that the other one was, why is everyone so white here? And I, in the first two weeks, I started noticing that there was definitely a lack of diversity and inclusion and in that first year, I actually, you know, I dealt with some some things that I wish that didn't happen to me, and so I left the industry briefly, briefly for like a month and a half, and then I attended a conference called Day of Security, um, and I felt like I wasn't isolated and alone anymore, and that there were other people that were like me that existed in the field, and they weren't going to give up, and that just inspired me to wanting to not throw in the towel instead to face it on. And I remember that very night, it changed my entire career um, because I couldn't go to sleep. I was so energized from the conference. And I came up up with like different ideas of how we can improve this industry. And I wrote them all down. And I also created a, basically an abstract for a talk um, and a PowerPoint presentation. And I remember submitting it to a couple of conferences in Las Vegas during summer camp. So, Las Vegas summer camp. For those that are listening that may not know what it is, it's when Black Hat besides Las Vegas, Queer Con and uh, also Def Con all occur in one week where people all around the world come together for cybersecurity purposes and mingle with each other. It is the biggest week of the year in the industry. And so I submitted a talk there, and my one of my and so I gave a talk. And there was this wonderful person there named Carmen Marsh. And she attended the talk and was like, you have a lot of energy. And I really about, you know, creating more of a belonging space in cybersecurity. Would you like to come and talk at my upcoming conference? And so that kind of started all my speaking engagements. Um, but also during that week, I started, I had this, I really wanted to get into bug bounty. Because I started to get more into the hacker scene and I really like the hacker community. And so, by the way, when I went to Las Vegas at that time, I was not employed. I literally went there on my own, first time ever in that week, and also Vegas on one zone um, to experience it and to face and try to change the situation. And so, um, how it first started was that I went to B Sides Las Vegas and I volunteered there. So I got to really have an even deeper appreciation for the hacker community and the culture for B Sides in general. But B Sides Las Vegas is still like a family in a sense. And that opened the door where I also volunteered um, to help out Wisp at their counter at Black Hat. So I had the opportunity to then attend Black Hat because of that. And then from there, I also was starting to look at two companies. One was Hacker One, the other one was Bug Crowd. Mm-hmm. And that week I also gave a talk, and that really it brought all these forces together because because I gave that talk, someone also gave me a, a DEF CON badge so I could attend DEF CON for free. And so then I went to DEF CON and I started to try to social engineer my way to getting a job at Bug Crowd. So for like three days, the only mission I had at DEF CON was to get a job at Bug Crowd. So there was this time where there was a group of Bug Crowd employees standing around with boxes, I think for an upcoming event. And I went up to them because someone gave me this bracelet and to be able to figure out when you figure out how to work this 3D printed bracelet, it would tell you where this party is located and time and all this. And it was really cool, but I had no idea how to deal with it, like to work it and to try to figure out where this place is going to be. So I, I went to these, uh, basically these bug crowd workers. It was very obvious. They were all wearing bug crowd shirts on. And I was like, hey, does anyone know how to like find out the information off of this bracelet of how to attend this event. And they're like, I don't, however, we have an event coming up. I'm like, Oh yeah, really? Where? And then they told me. And so I attended that event. And when I got there, I started to network with each person. And that night was the night I met Casey Ellis and, and everything changed because that opened the door for me then to get a role. So after, um, you know, summer camp week, I had basically a upcoming job. Um, I also gave my first talk, which opened doors to having more talks. I also got my phone, the door to understand the hacker community and I made some great friends. Um, and that's, that, that was the year that changed everything. And then I ended up, being and working at Bug Crowd and learning about hacker rights, also about bug bounty and how important it is for companies that have disclosure policies. And then from there, I went and I joined another company called Point3 Security, uh, where I, you know, I became the chief strategist. And My role was to oversee um, the different departments and to help us grow. And then I went on my own and I started my own consulting uh, group, which is great. Um, it's called impact of consulting. And now I help companies, you know, address the needs that we need to be focusing on as part of our purpose for every company that makes sense for shareholders and stakeholders. Mm-hmm.
0: So what was the specific things that you worked on um, improving with bug crowd?
1: So with bug crowd, there was a couple issues. One was that there was a lack of diversity when it came to their bug bounty hunters, the other thing was that you have a lot of bug bounty hunters that, you know, were on Hacker One but not on Bugcrowd. And so when I came in, I basically created the ambassador program there, um, and that opened the doors because I would also recruit those from like Hacker One and Synack to join. And then doing that, we started doing these programs with them, and I also started to create organizations that were around. Ensuring that there would be, you know, marginalized persons as well being able to, you know, participate in bug bounty as well. So my role there became opening the doors of having a more diverse bug bounty crowd to help out their their basically their clients to make sure that they have a safe. Uh, products, safe websites. And so it, keep, it keeps them in, in good business, but also to opens doors for the hackers all around the world that, you know, they use it as their main income or their side income. And that was a really rewarding really job was basically that and also getting to dive into disclosure. Um, so disclose.io, I was really helping to push that one out, bring it back to life. And making awareness about how every company should have vulnerability disclosure policies and how, you know, when we when we state what's in scope and what's out of scope, we're really setting the scene for reducing risks later on.
0: You talked about diversity within the bug bounty community, right? Yeah. I think diversity is still very much a problem in the industry at large. What do you think are some steps that the industry can take to tackle this issue?
1: Yeah. So when I was when I was working at Bugcrowd, the first thing I noticed was that we weren't keeping track of the people's genders. We weren't really asking what their genders were of the hacker community. So first is getting the data. What's your what is your baseline? Like where's your where's your point right now? Your current state. And then coming up with programs. One of the issues I find that the reason why we don't have more women doing bug bounty is because that one, they don't even know where to start. That's one. The other thing is they don't see too many of people that look like them participating in it and also the lack of mentorship. And so what I wanted to do was change all that. So one was addressing the mentorship. So I had the ambassadors also mentor women as well. Um, that was part of kind of the agreement that uh, by being an ambassador, not only are you going to, you're going to help other people learn how to do bug bounty, but also to share your knowledge with those that are, you know, marginalized in this field and industry. So we did that also with the events themselves would have to be inclusive of women making a belonging environment, making sure it's safe as well, and opening the doors for more and more women to participate in seeing, um, people like them also participating and excelling in it. I think that was those were the things that I was doing to ensure those things. And besides from
0: diversity, what are some other issues that the infosec industry face that you see that we need to solve?
1: Ooh, um, a list for you. Um, like we were talking about, the lack of diversity and inclusion um, especially when it comes to the shareholders of these companies, also the lack in awareness of climate change and our role that we play in it. I don't think we ever talk about climate change. Um, the lack of recognizing the role mental health can play in security, such as with, like with teams and employees being burned out. That expectation that you have to be on call twenty four seven means that we'll never have a work life balance. The other issue is gatekeeping. That means just entering it, getting a job, also to remain in it. I mean, we have a rotating door problem. We also have a corporate behavior problem and lack of transparency and responsibility when things go down that they are held responsible and accountable. There's also the lack of dealing with stakeholder opposition, um, which is one of those things that we really need to work on a lot more so than ever before. So that means making sure that we have disclosure programs that make sense and that we're able to run and manage. Um and yeah, those are pretty much that's kind of a list, I would say, for mm-hmm. sure.
0: I've actually never thought about the role of cybersecurity in climate change. Can you tell me a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. So right now, one of the goals that we need to address around the world, no matter what company or what industry you're in, and even us as individuals is to go to net zero um, before 2050. We really do need to get that actually sooner. Like if we could do that by 2030, we'd be in such a great shape because the reality is that climate change is one of the reasons why we're gonna keep seeing more and more pandemics. It's also gonna be the reason why we're gonna have more extreme weather. It's also meaning that people are going to have to relocate and move due to the changes of our environment. And so one of the things I see when it comes to cybersecurity is that we're not even talking about these things. We're not talking about how we are playing a role. Basically, it's one of those things that we have to understand that there's going to be more remote work. There's going to be more pandemics possibly happening if we don't if we don't try to reduce our carbon footprint at this time. And so what that means is that as cybersecurity shareholders, we need them to understand that we have to start considering sustainability goals. That means also getting into ESG work as well. Um, But overall, every single one of us can play a role. And I'll, I'll break it down even in a in just one way. So for example, one way that we can be better at is conferences. When it comes to conferences and cybersecurity, we have a lot of swag and majority of that is plastic. And for those that don't know, it takes up to 400 years for that to decompose. So even if you think you have a 100% cotton t-shirt, chances are there's probably Rylon in it too as well. But also where did those shirts come from? What did it come from good climate conditions? How did they, what energy did they use when they created the swag products itself? Was tribal, child labor part of that as well? And then it, from the swag part, then we go to the transportation. When we have conferences, there's a lot of transportation, and the number one contributor of greenhouse um, emissions in the US is transportation. So every time that we are traveling to go to a conference, this becomes a problem. Because that means that for those that aren't aware, is that carbon dioxide lasts for a thousand years in our atmosphere. So that's something to consider every time we are traveling to a conference. Another thing at conferences, you have a lot of plastic waste. Um, a lot of times in the U.S., we have this idea that when we're recycling plastic, that it's a good thing, that it's you know actually being recycled. But chances are it's not. We don't really have a good recycling program in the U.S., So when we are recycling plastic containers, what ends up happening is they go on these tanker ships and then they're basically brought to developing countries and where basically all this plastic waste goes. And that also means that it does end up in our water as well. And as we know, it takes like 400 years to decompose. And sometimes that means also burning of plastics. And when we're burning plastics, then we have greenhouse emissions happening too. So plastic waste is a huge problem at conferences. The other thing is the food. We don't think about how it's transported. We are not thinking about who are the people that are picking the food. Are they getting good wages? Are they healthy? Are they safe? Uh, You also have to worry about electronics, for example. Like you have TV screens, you have microphones. You have all these technology around you that uses rare materials that are mined. And that means that you're putting workers' health at risk that are mining. And a lot of times mining has children involved. And usually there's hardly any pay if there is any pay. And that also means using a force against these workers. And it's just, it's rare material. So we have to think it through every time that we're buying new technology. So that also means at the conferences, what happens to all that technology or electronics that you purchase for this event, where they go next. And that becomes how are you going to recycle those electronics? And then when it come to sourcing the energy for the conference, was that from coal base? Was that from a fossil fuel base? Was it solar? Was it wind? So you can see here, just conferences alone plays a huge role when it comes to sustainability, not just for you know the environment, but also you know the social part as well. And that's the thing; I don't think that we are grasping at today in cybersecurity is how we play a role towards uh, human rights issues and also how we're doing something terrible to the planet that we need to start taking responsibility for as well.
0: That is a lot to think about and some very interesting points. I think a lot of the things you mentioned is seriously just something I never considered just because no one else is talking about it. So if someone wants to reach out to you to learn more about what you do or learn from you as to how they can start tackling this problem and helping save our environment, how could they reach you?
1: Um, My DMs are always open on LinkedIn and Twitter, um, but also they can go to my website, which is just my first name and my last name.com, Chloe Mistagi. Um, That would probably be the best step. And if you are a company looking into these things, you can go to impactiveconsulting.com. But overall, everyone at this moment can really know that just that they also have a choice right now whenever they buy something or use something is to ask questions. Where did this come from? What was the supply chain look like? how am I making the world a better place with this purchase? Am I hurting anyone when I buy this product or when I use this product and to just really just start asking questions, how am I getting my energy? I think one of the things that we tend to forget about is that, you know, we have people that drive electric cars like a Tesla, right? But if you're charging your car and, and how you get your energy is coal based, it's not really serving a good purpose That's why we have to start understanding more about our environment and to actually ask the questions of how am I getting this energy? What am I doing? How am I buying into something that may hurt this planet or make this planet a little bit better?